Hello and welcome to today's podcast with Dell Technologies' Nick Somas. He's pre-sales leader, data protection and cyber recovery based in Melbourne. My name is Stephen Fennick. I'm a long-time tech journalist and regular TV and radio presenter. Now, here's something you might not know about Nick. He absolutely flies on two wheels. He once cycled from the north coast of Spain to the south coast of France. The focus of today's podcast is zero trust security. Nick will explain exactly what this is and why it is so important today with a huge number of people working from home. He'll show us how to use Dell Technologies hardware, software and services to build a zero trust approach to cybersecurity and recovery, mitigate the impact of cyber threats and avoid costly and lengthy system and application downtime. These can disrupt critical services and cause brand and reputational damage, or worse, threaten the organisation's existence. Before we start, we'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of our country and acknowledge their continuing connection to land, water and community. We acknowledge the culture, the history and the languages of our First Nation peoples and pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Okay, Let's kick things off. Nick, can you give me a sense of the state of zero trust in Australia? Do you think most IT professionals who need to know understand it and have implemented, or is that the case only with large organisations? Hi, Stephen. Thanks for having me today, and, and thanks for the introduction, by the way. Yeah, zero trust, it's, it's interesting, and it has become quite topical lately, even though it's based upon one of the core tenets of security, which has really been there for many, many years, and that is to eliminate the implicit and default access that exists between many of the components in our IT environments. So what is zero trust? I mean, it's very much a general term that describes an approach for a holistic security strategy that aims to limit movement within an organization's networks and systems and therefore reduce the the attack surface area, which ultimately reduces the chances of a malicious attack from spreading. But I don't necessarily believe that most people know actually how to go about it or even where to start. So does that mean there's a low implementation rate? Well, the thing to note about zero trust is that it's not a product. It's not something that you just go out and buy, read the manual and start deploying. It's a strategy, an approach to securing access and communications that involves infrastructure devices such as routers, switches, storage devices, servers, etc. It also incorporates securing access to applications and within applications and limiting user access only to areas that are explicitly required. So grant access on a need-to-use basis only. The notion is that perimeter security is not enough. Just because someone is on the inside of the firewall does not mean that they should have implicit and free access to resources that are also on the inside of the firewall. So it involves a broad set of areas with differing underlying technologies, processes, and of course, people too. Having said that, there is some industry research that suggests Australia is actually leading the way in APJ with respect to zero trust. And if you look at you know, the size of organizations that are impacted by, by cybercrime, if you look at what's been happening in the world and here in Australia, it's affected and impacted organizations across all sorts of industry verticals and organizations both large and small. So these types of strategies, cybersecurity strategies, zero trust strategies, they're not just limited to large organizations. They're, they're, they're actually relevant to all size organizations, including smaller to medium enterprises. 
In, in a similar vein, we know that in large companies, there's been a big shift in the last couple of years, so like cyber conversations and preparedness for destructive ransomware attacks. So they're now really firmly on board's radars. But what's the story in the smaller enterprises? Well, it's actually something that is also very top of mind for smaller organizations as well. Now, as I just mentioned, we've seen and are continuing to see organizations across all sorts of industry verticals attacked, and that includes large and smaller enterprises. As a matter of fact, some recent industry research suggested that 48% of breaches involve small business, and that's an increase of 43% compared with the previous years. And we've seen small enterprises across health, education, research, manufacturing, and other industries come under attack and suffer breaches. I personally believe that one of the reasons that smaller enterprises do get targeted is because they are seen as easier targets. You know, so whilst the size of the ransom reward may be smaller with smaller enterprises, there is a view that they would be easier targets due to less sophistication, with their cyber resilience strategies, fewer specialist IT and security personnel, and hence you know, a greater chance of those organisations paying out ransom money. With the shift to the not-so-new way of working, what sort of responses have you seen to beef up security? Like, What approaches do you think are the most effective? Stephen, there is a view that COVID has accelerated digital transformation projects much quicker than anything previously. Hence, security has been a big area of focus for obvious reasons since the beginning of the pandemic. And yes, there have been a number of responses. Most of them are unsurprising, such as ensuring employees have the right tools and technology, frequent updating and patching of systems, having effective data security policies, and even beginning a transition towards a zero trust strategy. But for me, there are probably two areas that I hear commonly from our customers. One is that user education is being given a higher priority as quite often the seeds of ransomware attacks are planted by malicious emails known as spear phishing. These emails look like they are legitimate and therefore can be very difficult to spot. But their intent is to have the user click on a link which will then, unbeknownst to that user, install malware on their computer which is malicious code which can then be exploited by criminals to gain access to an organization's networks and systems. Once at that point, ransomware attacks can then be launched. So educating users on how to detect these types of emails or more importantly, to only click on links once they are certain an email is valid is a high priority item. The second area that organizations are now truly taking is a data-centric approach, which means prioritizing recovery from ransomware and having a plan and solution in place to give them a quote-unquote get-out-of-jail card should they be held to ransom by cybercriminals. It's reasonably well understood and accepted that with the advent of ransomware attacks, security is no longer just about prevention. Recovery is also key. Prevention is about strengthening your security posture, and this can be done in a number of ways, such as endpoint protection, networking technology, firewalls, identity access management, and taking a zero-trust approach with all of this. Stephen, it's like building a big electric fence around your property, hoping that this keeps the bad guys out. Building such walls is absolutely required, but unfortunately in today's world, it is no longer enough. The reality is that most of these walls will be breached at some point. Most people tend to agree that it's no longer a question of if, but when. Ransomware is one of the cyber crimes that has changed this as it typically gets through the walls in the guise of email and hence the malware actually begins to spread from inside the wall. So cyber recovery is about ensuring that when the inevitable happens and data is breached, that a plan exists to be able to recover and restore the organization's critical services and applications in a timely manner. 
It aims to turn such a cyber attack into a nuisance event rather than something that can destroy an organization's business. And the objective is to protect the data protection environment because that has now become a target for cyber criminals. And it does this by, by creating a secure vault environment, ensuring that copies of critical data sets and services are held in an immutable manner within the vault and that the vault is isolated from the production systems and networks, making it inaccessible from external and internal threats. Now, I heard you touch on, Nick, their uh, disaster recovery, but I think most people understand it and, and why they need it. But you also mentioned cyber recovery. What's the difference and do businesses need both? Dell Technologies actually offers both disaster recovery and cyber recovery solutions. And the reason we do that is because they solve different problems. They are different use cases, but both are important. So traditional disaster recovery and business continuity solutions, they address problems that are typically catastrophic and limited to a single location, i.e. the data center or a part of the data center. So some examples of that, Stephen, would be fire, a flood, or power failures within the data center. Cyber recovery solutions, though, they're designed to solve the malicious attacks that are launched by cyber criminals. And one of the major differences between a cyber recovery um, attack versus a disaster recovery issue is that a CR attack or cyber recovery attack will very quickly spread to multiple parts of, of an organization's IT systems and across different geographical regions, whereas a DR issue is typically isolated or localized to within the data center. So they solve and address different use cases, and it's interesting to gauge the feeling amongst IT professionals. I saw a recent industry survey of around about a thousand IT professionals, and that showed that the majority of respondents felt that they were more likely to suffer a cyber attack than a DR event. Nick, we hear a lot about the NIST framework and its categories, identify, protect, detect, respond, recover. So where does zero trust fit into the NIST framework? The NIST framework with its categories, identify, protect, detect, respond and recover, as you've mentioned, Stephen, makes a great starting point for how to approach a zero trust strategy. It actually fits across all these categories. Zero trust is about reducing the lateral movement within an organization's networks and across an organization's devices and applications by removing implicit trust and always validating before allowing access. So the NIST framework can be used as a guide and foundation for designing and implementing a zero trust strategy. The identify pillar is all about identification of the organization's critical assets, systems, workloads, data sets. Basically, it's understanding what the risk profile is and what it means to the business if things were compromised. This is a key step to any security strategy and often it's one of the hardest. But once we do know what needs to be protected and know the risk profile, then we can apply the technologies, the solutions and processes to protect these assets with ongoing detection as well. And this should be with a zero trust approach. In other words, with granular and specific security controls that only allow access on an as needed basis. And I will add that zero trust is not a silver bullet or the complete answer to avoiding ransomware. It's accepted now that no matter how big and strong we build those walls, at some point, someone will break through them. We've all seen so many examples of that. So having a response and recovery plan, the final two pillars of the NIST framework, is key to having a holistic and complete cybersecurity strategy. In a blog post last year, Jim Shook, Director Cybersecurity and Compliance Practice at Dell Technologies, explained the different data recovery strategies and he used the Mona Lisa as an example. You can simply fasten it to the gallery wall and keep people away, 
or have a copy on the wall and keep the real Mona Lisa in a vault. Most of us might not see the difference, but a connoisseur would. To apply that analogy to data, how do you ensure your accessible data matches your inaccessible data secured in a vault? Yes, that's a great analogy, isn't it, Stephen? I mean, firstly, to explain what Jim is talking about, he's referring to our Dell PowerProtect cyber recovery solution, which is designed to protect the data protection environment from being attacked and compromised by, by ransomware. The data protection environment has become a key target by cyber criminals as they've realized that in order to maximize their chances of ransom being paid, they need to get access and encrypt all copies of data, including the backup copies. We use our leading PowerProtect DD purpose-built backup appliance as the foundation for our PowerProtect cyber recovery solution. And one of its core inherent capabilities is the ability to store, replicate, and protect data at scale with best-in-class efficiency and with data integrity. So data integrity is actually baked into the foundation of this platform. We, we call this data invulnerability architecture and combining this with our cyber recovery solution gives our customers what we believe is the most complete, robust and secure cyber recovery capability. And, and we believe that because it delivers across the three key core areas that are fundamental to these solutions, isolation, immutability and intelligence. And if you look at the intelligence component, it's actually a key differentiator with this solution as it uses machine learning and analytics to detect if there have been any signs of suspicious activity and therefore can significantly improve the recovery time after an attack. Now, we don't have mandatory ransomware reporting in Australia, so it's hard to get a true picture of the impact. What, what are you seeing? Well, there's no question that ransomware has grown in profile and impact and, and poses one of the most significant threats to Australian organisations as it does to organisations all around the world. I mean, ransomware recovery strategies are now topical for senior non-IT executives and even board members. Um, the Australian Cybersecurity Centre recorded a 15% increase in ransomware cybercrime reports in the 2020 to 2021 financial year. One factor that's thought to be influencing this growth and fueling this growth is that software to conduct ransomware attacks is being distributed via the dark web with the intent being to help launch attacks by those that may not have the technical expertise or the financial capability to initiate ransomware attacks. So this, this is known as ransomware as a service and so making it easier and more accessible for, for the bad actors to, to launch these style of attacks. So what's your view on the question of mandatory ransomware reporting and making payments illegal? Yeah, this is an interesting one. I mean, there, there is a strong argument to be made for making the reporting of ransomware mandatory, and the Australian government has already moved to, to legislate, legislate this for organisations that fit into their critical infrastructure categories. So categories such as communications, financial services, defence, education, research, energy, food and grocery, healthcare, um, and water and sewage. So there's a number of, of, of those critical infrastructure categories. On the topic of making pay payments illegal, that one is a little more complex because there are legitimate arguments that can be made both for and against, and in both cases, there could be significant ramifications. I mean, one of the pros for making payments illegal includes the fact that by paying the ransom, the organization will presumably be funding criminal activities. It's possible that the hackers will continue to carry out ransomware attacks using the money received to fund and support further attacks or other criminal activities. 
On the other side of the coin, one of the cons for making ransom payments illegal is that it could hurt organizations that have been attacked, uh, hurt them even more and result in longer disruptions to their services, especially if they don't have a reliable data protection environment to recover from. It may even force some companies to pay ransom illegally as they may not have any other choice. And, and this could potentially open them up for further extortion attacks by the perpetrators by threatening to reveal that they actually paid an illegal ransom um, payment. So it's not an easy one, unfortunately. Nick, one final question. What's something you'd like to tell the listeners is key for their security architectures? Like what direction should they be looking in? Yeah, Stephen, my, my key message would be to consider both the prevention and recovery aspects for your security architecture and strategy. Having one without the other is no longer enough. And because the traditional recovery environment, i.e. the data protection environment, is also under attack due to these ransomware threats, a different approach is now required for the recovery aspect. This approach should be an architecture that protects the data protection environment, one that provides an isolated vault containing the organization's most critical assets, a vault that is immutable and hence data integrity is maintained, and a vault environment that has intelligence built in, which aside from providing visibility and detection, also aids recovery time significantly. At Dell Technologies, we call this the three I's, isolation, immutability, and intelligence. And we believe that these three ingredients together provide the most comprehensive and robust recovery architecture. And when you couple this with a zero trust approach to the prevention side of a cybersecurity architecture, then you'll have the most complete and holistic cybersecurity strategy overall. And that's all the time we have for today. Thanks to Nick Somas, Dell Technologies pre-sales leader, data protection and cyber recovery. We've learned a lot today about rising threat levels, the catastrophic damage cyber attacks can cause, and the need for zero trust security because perimeter security is no longer adequate. We've also learned that organisations need to look beyond their operations and at their entire IT supply chain in order to be secure. If you'd like to learn more about Dell Technologies Zero Trust products and services, please visit dell.com.au forward slash security solutions. Thanks again for listening. Goodbye and have a great day.